change the way it's done, do it quicker, faster, whatever it is, that's true innovation. How'd they do that? Step number one would be try it. Have you tried? What, what innovation are you talking about? What's the number one priority? What do we have to innovate first? Hi everyone, Mark here and welcome to the Indifference Podcast, where I have conversations with people at the top of the game and try and uncover what is it they do to create progress in key areas. Two topics that have come up many times in the podcast are health and the importance of building a community. On this episode, I have a conversation with Colin Regan, who is the community and health manager at Ireland's largest sports body, the Gaelic Athletic Association. The GEA oversees the promotion of Ireland's national sports across a network of 1,600 clubs. Colin's role is to oversee the Healthy Club Project, which launched in 2013 and works in supporting clubs to become hubs for health within their communities. If you're interested in how to build a community or how to make the most of ones that already exist, you'll definitely pick up a few insights from what Colin has to say. And as someone who spends a lot of time looking into sports and health, I definitely think going forward, this is going to be a key aspect of how countries promote health well into the future. This is also the 10th and final episode of my first season of the podcast. So big thanks for listening and to everyone who has shared the show. It's been incredible to chat to so many people who are at the top of what they do. I've definitely picked up a lot from it and I hope you have as well. And a lot of what Colin talks about on this episode really helps tie all this together. So as always, I hope you pick up a few things from our conversation and really enjoy it. Let's jump straight in. Colin, thanks very much for coming on today. Really looking forward to hearing some of your insights and some of the lessons from uh, the Healthy Clubs program. Uh, delighted to be here, Mark. Thanks for the invitation. So we might just start off and ask that initial question of, you know, how did you first get interested in creating Healthy Clubs? I suppose it comes back to my own experience of the GAA, really. Um, I grew up in, in uh, rural North Leitrim, the 11th child of 12. Uh, and there, there wasn't a, a, a history, a big history of GAA in our family at all. Um, we're from a Church of Ireland background. Um, not that that precludes you uh, from, from engaging in the association by any means, but uh, I had an older brother, Barber, that I recall playing when, when I was younger, but he was living in London at this stage, playing with your Connell Gales during my kind of formative years. And we would have travelled outside of our community to receive a um, Church of Ireland or a, a Protestant faith-based religion uh, national school in Ballashannon in Donegal and then um, boarding school up in Rafoe in Donegal. So there was no GA in either of those schools. Hockey was the big sport up, up in Rafoe. But my in then was, you know, into the community was my my involvement and my natural migration towards sport. And that was Melvin Gales Club in Kinloch. And that's how I got to know most of the youngsters my age around my, my community because I didn't go to school with them. Right throughout my, my life then, you know, I, 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 I loved sport. Not just sport, I loved movement and climbing trees and running and physical activity of any nature. Uh, so I, that kept with me right throughout my life and I've benefited enormously from it. I've learned how to look after my, my body through my, my involvement in sport rather than any um, lessons I learned in formal education. You know, I, I did biology for leaving certain and all that, but I, I learned far more through 
my my involvement in sport and, and the GA. I played a lot of soccer, played a lot of other other sports as well. But that showed me the the value of first of all community and belonging. Um, in in terms of how how the, that sense of belonging I got or achieved through my involvement in my local club, and then as I started to play at county level, you know that my, my appreciation of my place grew with that, and um, it really resonated with me. And it was something when, when I joined the GAA back in two thousand and um, eleven. It was something that I wanted to really bring a, a greater emphasis towards through my work there. Hopefully that other people then could have similar experiences to myself. Yeah, I think actually a lot of people in the GA do have an experience where, you know, you're playing with your school team and then you're going to, you know, pull into the club through that way. I know that how, how I first got involved in the GA and uh, I know a lot of my friends and the people I played with as well, that that was the exact same way, you know, it was a school coach had some sort of link in with the local club and uh, the whole kind of you know, lifelong participation in GA kind of kicks off from there. But, you know, one of them things you mentioned, Colin, is, you know, recognizing the value of community and belonging and also a real appreciation of our, our place. Now, what do you think it is about the GA community club structure that kind of really reinforces that and kind of makes people really see the value of that? I suppose the GA was blessed by the vision of our, our founding fathers, you know, when the codification of so many sports was happening back around the 1880s, so to align the GA club with the then parish, the concept of parish now is somewhat dated. It's more, you know, community. So you were embedded, you represented your tribe. They were working on intuition and probably probably um, pragmatism. Um, we, we now, through research, understand just how important that, how deep that runs, you know, our sense of place and how important that is as a foundation for well-being. Uh, but also in terms of our opportunity to maybe during our formative years as teenagers or whatever, the importance of attaching an identity to oneself. A sporting identity is a very can be a very healthy identity. Obviously, it has its negative consequences that you have to be mindful of as well. Balance is key within that. But I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to represent the GA on, on, on some um, European-wide initiatives, such as the, the Sports Clubs for Health, uh, which seeks to kind of replicate the concept of the of a healthy club through other sporting organisations across Europe. They look to the GA model with great envy because the. First of all, it is the um, boundaries between the club and the community are, are so open and, and manifold that it really does attract people right across the, the life course. But it also the intensity of one's connection to the club there. Uh, they couldn't get over that I was living in Dublin and still driving three hours back down to, to Leitrim to play an amateur game at the, at the weekends at a time when I was old enough to know better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we were very, we were really blessed in that mark, and and as I said, it probably came through a little bit of focusing on what our founding fathers thought was necessary at the time in terms of trying to concrete an Irish identity and focus that in on the local, but also then probably just simply down to practicalities of travel and and, and the likes at the time as well. Kind of look after people in their own backyard, sort of thing, isn't it? But uh, it is amazing because I think it kind of shows the power of getting things off to a very good start. That you know, over a century later, like you say, it can become the envy of uh, as an advantage that other organisations can can have and other organisations can look to. But Colin, in your work on the the Healthy Clubs program, 
Now, when you're going about supporting clubs and communities in these projects, how do you know what to focus on? That's a really good question because at the start we didn't. We we were we were we were working on. Um, it started my role initially with the GA was on a narrow focus of drug and alcohol education, um, and that was through a collaboration with the HSE, um, and they had seconded um, one of their experts in that field, Brendan Murphy, for five years to the GA in 2006 to try and establish a structure to support the HSE in trying to address Ireland's um, problematic drinking habits at the time. We would have been amongst the highest consumers of alcohol in the OECD. When I came in, there was a, a big conversation starting to happen in the country around mental health. And listening to, to our club network, it was clear that um, they wanted support around more than just um, substance use. Probably the next door that opened really was about exploring well, what is the role of a sporting organization in terms of supporting emotional well-being and mental health. Uh, and at the same time, uh, there was catalysts in terms of the likes of Connor Cusack coming out, speaking very publicly about his experiences with depression and growing up as a, as a gay man in, in both Ireland and, and in the GAA. And, and Don Logue, of course, his brother. You, you would have had Alan O'Mara, the cabin goalkeeper, writing very eloquently about his experiences of, of depression and suicidology, suicidal thoughts. Um, so I think that legitimized the conversation within the association about that. Um, and we sat down and had a conversation then with the, with the HSE and actually the chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Tony Houlihan, about, well, let's look at expanding our collaboration beyond just substance use. And, um, we put a working group together with the likes of Dr. Noel McCaffrey, Jack's father there. We had Dr. Noel Richardson, who's a leading expert, the leading expert in men's health in Ireland, working out at Carlo IT. Biddy O'Neill from the HSE, Joan Eaton Murphy, who had been instrumental in, in establishing the Healthy Schools Network here in Ireland. And well, we did, we looked internationally as well to see what was happening there. And there was some research happening coming out of, um, Finland and in Australia, the good sports model out in Australia as well. And that's how we set about establishing the, the framework for the Healthy Club project. And through the initial 16 clubs and two mentoring clubs that signed up to participate and become the guinea pigs back in, in 2013, we, we engaged extensive community consultation and member consultation with them to try and identify what other areas they felt would be um, appropriate for a club to support a community around. And that's kind of how we have come up with our, our thematic areas of mental health, emotional well-being, healthy eating, gambling, alcohol and drug education, physical activity um, opportunities for non-playing members and, and social games. Um, and... and um, Community development, then a kind of a broad umbrella that touches on everything from engaging older members. So each phase, each two years, we go back out and test that those are still relevant. All the clubs with 300 clubs involved now, they or one of the one of their um, seven steps that they must do is a community consultation to to identify what their community would like them to focus on. Um, so there's a, there is that blend of recommended and, and, and kind of off-the-shelf evidence-based health promotion interventions that we deliver to clubs, but there's also great flexibility for clubs to use their own local knowledge, ingenuity, creativity. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the, the big advantages of projects like this where you know you go out, you listen to the club network, like you say, and you're, you're constantly doing it. So you know, chances are you're probably up to date with the issues people are actually facing on the ground. Now, you're not trying to dictate what people do day to day or week to week or, you know, that idea of, you know, controlling what people do in their own backyard, more kind of just facilitating them to solve some of, the, some of their own kind of health challenges, isn't it? Absolutely. It's the same as with a coach won't tell the squad exactly what to do in a game, every game situation. That's impossible. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, you, you'll you'll um, hopefully provide them with some of the tools they need to bring their own creativity and, and ingenuity and, and knowledge of their own local community to the fore and use that uh, because that is the wealth of the GA, is the, the quality of the volume of the volunteers that we have at our disposal. And, you know, many of the people, many of the healthy club officers around the country um, have much greater knowledge than I could ever have around uh, health and well-being. Others are, are just passionate parents who, and, and there's nothing more, that there's no greater drive that you can <laughs> tap into than somebody yeah. who wants their child to grow up healthy and well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you touched on Colin there in terms of the number of clubs who first took part in 2013. So just kind of probably tease up our next question of how do you know if your approach is working? We um, we decided, uh, and rightly so, uh, to start really small. You know, we have 1,600 clubs on the island and we decided to just go for four from each province um, for that pilot. We identified two mentoring clubs at that stage, St. Finbar's um, in Cork and uh, St. Peter's up in, in Warren Point, who were already doing more than we could ever possibly have imagined a GA club would do beyond just the delivery of the promotion of Gaelic games. And we learned so much from them. In terms of knowing if our approach is wor- working, I, I would say there's two elements to that. We, we have done quite rigorous evaluation with independent evaluations with the likes of Waterford IT's Centre for Behavioural Health Research. Um, and we're just teeing up another one for the next phase now with Dr. Eva Lane in Athlone IT. Uh, we've been very fortunate to have um, Irish Life come on as our corporate social responsibility partners to fund that t- type of, of research. The other big way of letting us, reassuring us that, that our approach is working is the interest and the continuous engagement that the Healthy Club project is doing. And sometimes I think we can get a little bit lost in uh, academic evaluations of things. And I'm a great man for believing in, in, in instinct, looking at the evidence in front of you. I remember um, my old English teacher, Arthur Lemon, once talking about poetry. He always says, if you, if you have a daisy in front of you and you pull off all the petals and uh, the element <laughs> up to try and, make, try, try and understand what it's made up of, you don't have a daisy anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... It kind of uh, takes you away from uh, some of the magic sometimes, actually. Exactly. And, and, and that's a really good word. We, we, we use that to describe the Healthy Club project all, all the time. And it's, it's a movement, Mark. Yeah. One, one of the components of a movement is organic. There's an element, there has to be an element of, of organic growth and learning in, within a movement because it, doesn't, it can't have too much of a central administration. Each time we have gone to our clubs in the country with an expression of interest as each phase has, has evolved and each phase takes clubs about 18 months to complete. We've always had a waiting list. Um, and we, we, so, so that says we're doing something right. And even, you know, we were, we were wondering, okay, well, how are clubs going to adapt? Because one of the great things about the Healthy Club project was some of the large gatherings and the energy and the sharing of ideas that would happen at those in Crow Park. You know, we might have 500 people at, at our annual Healthy Club conference and 
But over the last 12 months, the continuous engagement of our Healthy Club officers has been uh, astounding. We had 200 officers just two weeks ago on, on another Healthy Club officer training. And, and many of those were from clubs that signed up in 2013. Uh, it's still there, yeah. still there, and you know, we we ran we ran out a, a steps challenge this during the lockdown. One in June and one in January, and the one in January had twenty seven thousand participants. They were across across seven hundred clubs. Almost half of every club on the island took part in that, um, and it was you know bar. I think Operation Transformations 5K virtual run, and we know we've provided thousands of participants to that because we promoted it heavily. It was the largest mass participation physical activity uh, initiative of the lockdown. It's an incredible scale when you look at things like that across the whole island. You know, there's there's not that many of us. The fact you're able to tap into that network and, and get so many people engaged is, is so key. Even to speak to that ability of engaging people over lockdown, because most sports organisations kind of have to have to shut down. We, well, I think, one of the great things for us anyway has been our ability to uh, continuously engage or, or have greater engagement with our 400 international units, um, because sometimes overlook the fact that there's a, a army of clubs out there across the five continents that uh, can't make it home to Dublin for conferences and Crow Park and, and the likes and. In, in the most recent phase, we had three international clubs put their hands up and say, we want to be part of the Healthy Club project. Then, then Hag in, in Holland, we have Montreal Shamrocks, um, and we had Ali out in the United Arab Emirates. We were able to showcase the work of um, Montreal Shamrocks Diversity and Inclusion Day on our Healthy Club conference this year because it was done online. Um, and normally we have to cap that that uh, attendance at about 400, 450 in Crow Park, just purely due to logistics. We had 650 people able to attend that this year because it was delivered online. And I think that blended approach will be a, a great asset and benefit to our volunteers because challenge for volunteering is time, the big challenge. You know, it's never a lack of passion or a lack of interest or enthusiasm. It's just... And we used to you know, force volunteers to commit huge amounts of time just to be in attendance physically at a training session or a meeting. That I think that will, right, not just with the Healthy Club, right across yeah. the GAA, that will be a, a great learning to take from this year experience. The, the other big thing for me was the opportunity that to really emphasize the community side of the GAA. That had almost become a cliche and, you know, cliches quickly become dismissed um, or overlooked. But when when the first lockdown hit last March and, and um, Gaelic Games and all the sports uh, ceased, within days, the GA Club Network had um, put in place a community-based response to support their members, the, the most vulnerable members of their community that were forced to isolate, uh, socially isolate due to the pandemic. Literally within days, and many of the, many of the, the first clubs to do that were clubs within the 300 uh, Healthy Club network because they had received training. Their project teams had received training around how you become a community club rather than just a sporting club and how you actually engage in meaningful partnerships, reaching out to your community and identifying people um, that, that might need additional support. Within about four weeks, there was 20,000 GA volunteers supporting 35,000 people um, who were forced to, to cocoon. I wasn't a fan of that term, and, yeah, and yeah. I know a lot of people weren't. But So mainly through the delivery of groceries, of prescriptions, and 
that local knowledge that you know people knew in their own community who were forced to socially isolate because that's what you know, a GA club is a microcosm of its own little community there and it has that local knowledge. It took over four weeks for the structures of the state to try to replicate what the GA had done by, through the county response forums um, and at, at, at local authority level. And you know, we, we were instrumental in, in assisting them as, as were, you know, we weren't the only entity, obviously, alone and and uh, Volunteer Ireland were doing phenomenal work there as well. But you know what those structures essentially did was just um, piggyback on what the GA was doing already. To to be perfectly frank with you, um, so hopefully that, that will. I, I'm very interested to see what that experience of the last twelve months has done to elevate the um, awareness and the appreciation of the healthy club concept within the GAA because we're, we're going to open up expressions of interest for the next uh, stage, the next phase uh, this at the end of October this year. Um, we have a target of 200 additional clubs to come in and start the, the project afresh in January and work towards their accreditation. But I'll be really interested to see how this last 12 months you know, impacts the number of clubs that want to get properly supported in doing that type of work and then recognised for it as well. Again, that, that kind of re- really speaks to the power of having people within these, these communities who are already ready to go to actually you know, act straight away rather than you know, having to wait for plans to come down and people to be coordinated because there's, there's so many different pieces of the puzzle to set up and put together when you're kind of starting from scratch. So it's always, always nice to have it ready to go. But Colin, you know, looking back on some of your work over the last few years, what have been some of your biggest insights so far? Well, the biggest insight for, for me, definitely, it's, it's kind of funny. It was, it's a bit like uh, the field of dreams. It's definitely build it and they will come. You know, I think the people who have put themselves forward as healthy club officers or members of the project teams or even members of our county health and wellbeing committees or national health and wellbeing committees, they have been looking for an expression of this desire that they have had to ensure that the positive experience that they too, similar to myself, have um, taken from their GA membership or involvement reaches as many people as possible. But also that we do address some, we're not blind to recognise that there are elements within or experiences within uh, any sports dynamic and a GA club is no different that that can be um unhealthy and, and you know the sort of stuff we're talking about is excessive focused on on winning from at, at inappropriate levels at from a young age we know that from research internationally that um if you're a part of a team dynamic that can lead to increased binge drinking we know that athletes are a high risk group when it comes to um gambling addiction or problem gambling, we're addressing those, trying to address those issues head on, but also then, as, as we said, break down some of the barriers that might exist within a community towards its club, because there, there can be, sometimes uh, our greatest strength can be our, our greatest weakness, that sense of identity and belonging. And if you didn't grow up in the GA family, there can be a tendency to send the chapers, you know, that's not for me, you know, I, I, I didn't have that birthright or, you know, they're absolute loopers over there. <laughs> they're, 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 <laughs> a bit of a click almost. I think people can begin to look yeah, at these things after, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a bit and, alien and, to you, and, like anything. It, it yeah. is completely. And we, you know, we have our own language, the same as any tribe, and we have our own customs. And we have, and sometimes one of the things, that, one of the insights I've learned definitely is, you know, pa- passion has been a big driver in my life. But um, recently I've, I've learned that, you know, 
passion and overdrive is a real turnoff for other people. It can be a real turnoff for other people. So, you know, it's how do we message what we're trying to do? Um, and obviously, the other thing is that it doesn't have to be rocket science, as well as the other big insight I've taken from this here. You know, sometimes the simplest solution is the best. And I think a lot of clubs are, the Ireland, take, take Ireland Lights Up, for example, which we, which we roll out in partnership with Get Ireland Walking and Operation Transformation each year with support from Healthy Ireland. And Get Ireland Walking, unsurprisingly, they would have recognised that there's a huge drop-off in walking during the winter months, particularly out in rural Ireland, where it's, there's just nowhere safe on the, on the Boreens to, to go for a walk. So um, we work together and with this concept of GA clubs turning on their floodlights during the winter months and inviting their communities to come in and, and uh, enjoy a safe space. But also the, the, the communal element of it, that social element of it, during those dark, long winter evenings of people were living on their own or whatnot. And over, you know, we would have recorded, obviously it couldn't happen this year because of the lockdown and that's why we introduced the steps challenge that people could do individually instead anywhere they wanted to. But we would have recorded up to 120,000 people out walking as part of Ireland Lights Up with 500 plus clubs participating. And the, what was the genius idea? Turn on your floodlights and say you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was it. As simple as that. Like as simple as uh, that. Yeah. That's the trick, though, isn't it? Like, like you say, like you know, it is in rocket science, and you know, I think one of the big things with setting up any of these or any sort of health, they're kind of. Uh, real sort of you know breakthrough kind of solution sometimes that like it can't be rocket science. You know, it has yeah. to be, you know, people like you say, people for so many different reasons just have to be able to engage with it if you want the thing to work. Exactly. And you you have to allow people to engage with things on on their terms as well. And, and obviously that's always one of the challenging things with with any type of um population-wide intervention. Yeah. And that's where simplicity uh, is key. So the big insight for us, again, was around, I, I know I've used the phrase, but sometimes our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness and that um, the GA can be very self-sufficient because we've been in operation so long, in existence for so long. We've got very competent people, uh, uh, volunteers and, and full-time staff across every different element. We do most of our training in-house. But you can then underappreciate what partners can bring to the table and and we have we have benefited from some phenomenal partnerships through the healthy club project like uh, st angela's home economics teacher training college up in sligo uh, amanda the ceo there and i sat on the healthy ireland, ireland council for three years together and just over a conversation we're talking about i was saying we we would love to do something through the healthy club project to have a, a an off-the-shelf kind of evidence-based fun healthy eating initiative that clubs could roll out particularly for their teenage members you know before they head off into college so they could gain those life skills and amanda i was saying that you know they're desperately trying to they get a greater profile for he and those valuable life skills that people you know fending yeah. for oneself literally <laughs> you know, putting the, the the essence of what keeps us alive into our into our system and an enjoyment of food um, and we developed with them recipes for success, which has been one of the, the, the huge successes within the Healthy Club project. And HE teachers across the country are volunteering their time free, free of charge to invite squads of GA teams, young squads under 16, under 18, under. Even it's, it's become so popular, adult squads are taking it up now to go in and do a cookery demonstration of, of two or three of the recipes that are in the booklet that we produced together. It is, it is like incredible. 
So it's a great way to cover the gaps that have been overlooked so long in different things like cultivating them sort of life skills in, in young people before they you know transition to college or you know and they leave the nest or whatever, isn't it? That's a, that's a really good way, way of putting it because we, look, we know all of those transitions are, 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 that's time when people are most vulnerable, usually, you know, at those, at those transition periods. Um, and when we get the expressions of interest in from clubs, um, you know, they, they actually, it, it does your heart good just reading them. I remember last year, we got two, or the last days, we got 220 odd applications for 150 places. And you know, clubs were literally saying these services don't exist in our community, and if we don't pick up this baton or you know, this challenge and, and try to deliver it, there is no other entity in our in our area to do so. And um, so they're they're incredibly mindful of trying to uh, contribute to the social capital of their of their place and of their of the next generation and the current generation and and also the older members of our communities that on whose shoulders we are standing and and who possibly and probably built up the club from nothing in, in you know much more challenging times than, than which we live in and giving them the, some of the tools and support and, and resources to they can maximize the volunteer time that they have has, has been crucial without overloading them at, a, at any step along that way and we have like we've tweaked the model continuously we we, we learned both to our guinea pig clubs at, at the start so we had 28 different criteria that they were supposed to achieve over an 18-month journey in order to become recognized as a healthy club and it was just administrative overload yeah. for volunteers we've twittled it down to seven steps now you know a quarter of what and we built much more trust into the the entire relationship and that has allowed it to i would say to flourish because you know these clubs and these volunteers are putting their hands up and say and said these this is something we want to do why on earth would we then start to become some kind of um, bureaucratic um, pen pusher to, to to check that they're doing what they say they want to do with their valuable free time <laughs> <laughs> exactly no it's definitely uh that's definitely a big insight but uh, you know, looking to uh, you know, looking forward, then, Colin. You know, what are your hopes for for healthy club programs and for healthy communities as well in the future? My hope would be for um, real true integration of the philosophy of the healthy club into the culture of the association, um, and I think we're seeing that happening. We are working much more closely over the last um, 18 months with the coaching and games department. Um, uh, Shane Flanagan has come in there and we would definitely have a shared vision, I think, with uh, in terms of the GA's role in uh, youth development, it running parallel with player development. Sometimes people are afraid that, oh, you know, you're, 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 going, you're trying to whittle um, competition out of the association. It couldn't be further from, from the truth. Com- competition is inherent in each in each one of us. Put two toddlers down on, on a floor and, and put a ball in between them and you know, they'll, they'll fight over that ball. We do not have to develop competition. We are developing. We're the, we're the largest youth development organization association in, in this year country and we need, to, we need to be mindful of that. I think the association will, will benefit enormously from that positive influence that uh, the Healthy Club philosophy and outlook can bring into all facets of it. The goal games philosophy is something that uh, that healthy clubs should be pushing, and um, um, in terms of the everybody plays philosophy, um, you know, a healthy club 
has uh, ensured that all its coaches have the, you know, the appropriate qualification foundation levels to work with our, our, our young people and are following the phenomenal content that our, our, our coach tutors are, are, are making available to them. Now, a healthy club is also a club that, that's diverse and inclusive since, since we have appointed our the National Diversity Inclusion Officer um, 18 months ago, Jerry McTavish. We, through the, again, through the Healthy Club Network, we have seen so many clubs take that baton on. And, you know, even from Clonakilty down in Cork, where they're working autism, we have the likes of the All Star programs here in, in two clubs that are just around the corner from where I am in Dublin 9, Clontarf and Rahini, the GA's first uh, LGBT club being established here in Dublin even to see the GA walking during the Pride Parade. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was so meaningful for so many members of the association who felt they couldn't fully express that element of their identity, despite the fact that the association is all about identity. So, so we have to, you know, that's what my hopes are for the, experience, for the future, that the GA lives up to our new manifesto where we all belong. And you know, we, when we launched that, there's a good reason it was launched in the St. Colum Kills Club up in Bettystown in County Mead, one of our foremost healthy clubs that have been involved since that pilot phase. And it's because that is a club in which they bend over backwards to ensure that everybody belongs there. But not just in that in in um meaningless way. You don't just get to become a, a club member and then do what you want. You, you you become a Kills member and they outline what the culture and philosophy of their club is and you are expected then to support and, and manifest that club and, uh, philosophy yourself as well. That, that, that for me would be the essence of, of what my hopes are for that the GA Healthy Club Project is one of the real drivers and agents for change in supporting the association to bring that new manifesto where we all belong to life. Colin, final question. For people who are you know, trying to replicate some of the, the progress that's been made here and this whole way of supporting communities in solving some of their biggest issues and like you say, almost you know, taking them to a place that you didn't actually imagine even five years ago, you know, let alone 10 years ago or whatever, when you, when you first began, what would be the single piece of advice that you'd, that you'd give people? Don't look to build the wheel again. You know, it, again, we have put 10 years of work into the, refining this year model. There, there is a successful model being deployed in Ireland. And I, you know, I, I would encourage the, the powers that be, both in terms of, of Sport Ireland and the Department of Sport, to, to work with us in terms of garnering those those the learnings that we have blood, sweat and tears into and all our volunteers have and, and um, sharing them across the, the network. And because that has been one of the brilliant things about the Healthy Club Project, Mark, is that, you know, we thrive on competition between clubs. And, you know, sometimes it can veer into the unhealthy competition. And but that, again, that drive, that is what drives the GA, is that, is that competition and always trying to get that one-upmanship on those feckers neck down the road. Um, but in the Healthy Club project, the clubs take the vast majority of their learning from each other and they are so open and generous with it. The, the large part of our training now is focused around using our clubs, using case studies from our clubs to inspire other clubs that are coming into the project or to inspire a, a club that uh, might be 
interested in becoming a, one of our smoke-free clubs, for example, a smoke-free campus, but are wary maybe of how it might be received. When they when they talked to uh, you know another club, and it was uh, St John's Volunteers down in Wexford were the first club to implement that. 150 of the 300 clubs are now smoke-free. And when they when they talk to another club and that and the club makes themselves completely available and accessible to them to share their learnings, then it just breaks down that fear. And and it's fear fear is usually what stops us doing what either we want to do or what we know is right. It's about that that's creating a, a community beyond even the GA with this here um, model that we, we have found to be of great benefit to the association. Well, thanks very much for joining me today and sharing some of your experiences and insights there. It's been absolutely incredible to hear. Pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Best of luck.